So at this moment, um, I would invite you to please turn to Psalm chapter 90. We're just going to read. I believe we had read this. Uh, I'm so nervous that I don't remember if we read this uh, chapter or not. So uh, let, let us read the whole chapter then. Uh, verse, uh, verses 1 to 17. Uh, that's uh, the book of Psalms, uh, chapter 90. And we're going to read from verses 1 to uh, 17. And this is the word of the Lord. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep, away, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. And for as many years as we have seen evil, yet let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once more that you have given us this appointment at this time, at this place, to come to worship you and also to hear from you through your word. I thank you for the honor and the privilege. We pray that you may, by your Holy Spirit, Help us understand your word, but also to accept it. There are many things that are difficult to accept 
And we pray also that you may give us the strength to walk according to your revealed will in the Holy Scriptures. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Obviously, today is the uh, last day, uh, the last Sunday, rather, the last Sunday of the year. In a few days, according to God's will, most of us here this evening will celebrate the arrival of a new year. And customarily, this is the time in which we reflect upon the year we have just experienced. And perhaps uh, even some of us look further back than this year. And as Christians, we think about some of the good moments and even of the unexpected challenges and difficult moments uh, as well. But in addition, we, we begin to contemplate on certain goals we would like to achieve in the upcoming New Year. But many of us don't dare anymore to make a New Year's resolution because we end up so self-defeated by, uh, by these uh, resolutions that we uh, seem to not achieve even uh, before the year is even over. We uh, seem so self-defeated sometimes by the end of January, it seems like, at times. <laughs> we haven't accomplished any of our goals any of our resolutions. Just recently I have heard something new for those of us who have experienced this self-defeat and uh, those of us who have learned to, to fear being defeated again by these resolutions. And I have come across something very interesting. It's called Remember Lucian's Jar. It's a Remember Lucian's Jar. What is this? Well, some, some folks have decided to um, uh, choose a, uh, these ordinary empty jars, and they decorate them with inspirational quotes and reminders, and they write some of their achievements that they expect to accomplish during the year. So, uh, and one of the purposes is so that they can feel better about themselves, right? So they, they write, okay, I accomplished uh, X, Y, and Z, and, and I put it in the jar. And as the year goes by, you, 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 you write another note down and put it in the jar, obviously. And some of these, uh, some of these jars are decorated uh, with inspirational quotes. And I came across this quote, um, such as, can't tell me nothing. <laughs> Obviously, not all quotes are this outlandish and, and, and uh, apparently arrogant, right? But um, as we look into um, this chapter of uh, Psalm 90, it appears that Moses um, is... Uh, doing some of these type of things in this uh, chapter, but also um, we will see some of the accomplishments here um, through this chapter that we will encounter. Uh, not, of course, accomplishments by Moses, but uh, Moses seems to indicate, seems to point 
okay, to certain accomplishments. And obviously, uh, Moses is not in the middle of celebrating uh, the upcoming new year. However, he is reflecting. He is reflecting upon his uh, personal uh, circumstances. So uh, what I would like to do this evening is uh, point out uh, a, a, an outline of this particular uh, chapter. Uh, I would like to attack the chapter by really um, uh, concentrating in the center of the chapter, first of all, uh, from verses 3 to 12. And uh, uh, we'll discuss a little bit about the perception of man's uh, tra- uh, transience in that section. And then I would like to work outwardly uh, from these verses, and we'll return to verses uh, 1 and 2, and we'll uh, discuss a little bit about the uh, praise of God's eternality in that, in those two verses. And then we'll end up uh, concluding by looking at verses 13 to 17. And we'll see Moses' plea um, here in these uh, verses, Moses' plea for uh, God's uh, mercy. So first of all, let's look at um, verses uh, 3 to, to 12. And uh, Moses here uh, begins these verses and describing uh, man's transience. He says in verse 3, you return man to dust. And he's talking about God, obviously. He's, he's, he's directing um, this prayer. And um, to uh, let you know, this, is, uh, this prayer is one of the most ancient uh, prayers in the book of Psalms um, that we're looking at at this moment. And um, he says about God that he returns man to dust and say. And it says to the uh, children of men to return to dust. And then he continues in verses uh, 4 to 12, talking about the brevity of the life of, of man. And he goes on to say in verse 4, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Here, Moses points out three examples about uh, the brevity of man's life. He does so in verse 4, as I have mentioned, and he continues in verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Moses is, some may uh, ponder about this, these uh, verses and, and decide to ask, um, did, did Moses have a morbid obsession with death and uh, suffering? Did he have a morbid obsession with death and suffering? Because he begins uh, really developing this thought in these verses. But we have to understand the context. We have to understand the context in which uh, Moses had uh, written this uh, particular prayer. Moses had been a witness of outstanding calamities. 
First, calamities that God has sent against the Egyptians. He had seen God's wrath being displayed among the Egyptians, and many of you um, are very familiar with uh, this account. But also, after God saves his people from the bondage of the Egyptians, he is leading them to the promised land. And on the way to the promised land, the people of Israel decide to rebel against God. And they sin against God. And they begin to complain against God. And they complain in the context of God's miraculous deliverance of his people. But not only his miraculous deliverance of his people, but in his miraculous provision to sustain his people. And in this context, the people of Israel begin to murmur against God. They begin to complain bitterly, questioning God's goodness, questioning God's wisdom, questioning his power. And God, in his holy wrath, decides to issue a decree. And it is a decree of death. It's a decree of death that extends to an entire generation where God decrees that every adult from the age of 20 to the eldest adult, he decreed that they will die in the desert, in the wilderness. And he decreed a period of time. He decreed a period of 40 years. And in this context, Moses is experiencing these calamities fall upon these people that he just had delivered from Egypt. And in one instance, God opened up the earth, created, issued an earthquake where many people died. Moses was a witness to this calamity. And in one instance, in the wilderness, God sends serpents full of venom as an act of God's wrath to strike down this generation that he had promised to pour his wrath upon them. So on a daily basis, it appears that Moses was attending funerals every day. And and in this context, Moses is writing. And Moses is, is clamoring, is issuing a prayer So Moses is really expressing his true experience. It was not a morbid obsession with death and suffering.
And he comes. And he comes to this question. Who considers the power of your anger? Verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Returning again to verses 4 to 6. God is, 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 Moses is writing about the death of these people. One may ask, as one theologian had asked, why? 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 If, if, I, would, I would suggest, if Moses were to finish these, this psalm, this prayer, by ending in verse 6, we would end up with a God who is uh, capricious, a God who is evil, who is vindictive. But Moses does not stop at verse 6. He continues on explaining. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. We have lost our courage. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. And we see, we see here that God manifests his wrath in a just and holy way. He's not a vindictive God. He's not a capricious God. And in these verses, it reveals something about his holiness. But it reveals something about Death itself. Moses reminds us that God is really a, a, a bone crusher. If you look at verse 3 in the original Hebrew where it says you return man to dust. It describes, it describes the pulverization of the human body. Where God is returning the human body back to the earth. And why is this? Why is this? Moses says it's because of our sins. And our secret sins. Some of us struggle with secret sins. Some of us struggle with the sin of envy. And some of us don't. Uh, sometimes try to hide it. It doesn't manifest itself. But in these verses, it tells us that God does judge secret sins. And one of the reasons why God brings his wrath upon his people is because of these secret sins. But ultimately, ultimately, where does this come from? Where does sin originate? One commentator puts it this way, describing the origination of sin. The temptation in the beginning of creation was clear. And as Moses has described this verse, obviously he's, he was the author of the book of Genesis. And he uh, cites, he cites this, uh, cites the origin of our creation in the image of God, but also cites the origin of sin in the Garden of Eden. And the commentator continues to say, 
By playing God, we redefine good and evil. In rejecting the voice of God and the boundaries He has set for us, we have made ourselves the master ethicists. And all categories become subject to our sovereign pronouncements. We wanted to play God. And this is what's occurring in the wilderness as well. The rebellious people of God. The rebellious people wanted to play God. Another Christian theologian had posed this question. But why death? Why death? Could there not have been some other punishment? Well, death is God's limit on creatures, he goes on to say. Death is God's limit on creatures whose sin is that they want to be gods. The true God is holy. He is unique and cannot, by his very nature, tolerate those who try to relativize him. We are not gods. And by death, we learn that we are only human. Our pretensions are destroyed. It is a reminder. Death is a reminder of our rebellious nature. It is a reminder that before a holy God, and not only a holy God, but a God who created the heavens and the earth, as verses, the first two verses of this chapter declare. And in lieu of that, God has the right to rule his creation. God has a right to judge his creation in virtue of who he is. So Moses does not have a morbid preoccupation with death and suffering. But there's something wondrous about this chapter. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Moses reminds us in the first two verses of God's eternality. And what he is attempting to do is is to make a contrast between God's eternality, holiness, and man's mortality and sinfulness. And he's praising God for who he is. And notice in verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And he's using the language of birth in these verses. And he's declaring Before the creation of the world, God has always been an eternal dwelling. But from the deepest part of his soul, Moses asks this question in verse 11. 
Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And this is not just an intellectual consideration. He's asking a deeper question. Who can experience the full weight of his anger? Who can tolerate that? Ultimately, the question can only be answered through Christ. In scriptures in Isaiah 53, the prophet describes Christ as a man of sorrow, as a man of suffering. And in these times, we celebrate his birth. And he came to suffer. He came to die. But he not only came to to suffer and to die, but he came to fulfill this particular verse, to bear the full weight of God's wrath, the exhaustive wrath of God he came to bear on your behalf and on my behalf. So we see that this prayer is not a morbid prayer, but a hopeful prayer. Moses is looking forward as he, at the same time, is looking to the past. He's looking forward. And he continues to look forward in verses 13 to 17 as his plea for mercy and grace comes from the depths of his heart. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Here, the steadfast love is a declaration of God's covenantal love, his chesed, his unrelenting love. Moses is asking for this unrelenting love. And he says, satisfy us in the morning. The dawning of a new day. That we may rejoice and be glad all our days. And he asks for parity as well. He asks, make us glad for as many as days as you have afflicted us. But God answers his prayer a little bit more than that. He answers his prayer by giving us eternal life in Christ. Not 40 years of parody of of God's anger against his people. No. He gives us eternal life. An Old Testament scholar by the name of Dr. Furtado, among other Old Testament scholars, have observed, have discerned, a particular pattern in the book of Psalms. And one of the patterns that they have discovered is that the beginning of the Psalms is heavily, heavily loaded with lamentations. And we see here in chapter 90 a microcosm of the structure of the book of Psalms. Moses begins in a prayer of lament. 
But he goes on in a prayer of praise and glory. And that is the overall structure that can be discerned in the book of Psalms. It moves from lament. And if you see the final chapters of the book of Psalms, it ends in praise. Dr. Furtado has also identified a pattern that this reflects the life of Christ. Christ came to suffer voluntarily. Voluntarily he came to suffer, to receive God's wrath, anger on our behalf. But but Christ's life moves from lament, from suffering to glory. And that's another pattern. From suffering to glory we see in the book of Psalms. And it reflects the book and it reflects the life of Christ. The Psalms, all Psalms we share in the Reformed faith, all Psalms are Messianic. There are some Psalms that speak directly about Christ. But there are others, Psalms that speak indirectly about Christ. But all Psalms are Messianic. And we are faced with a Messianic psalm here. We're faced with the heart of the gospel. We're faced with Christ, the suffering Savior, born to suffer. But he eventually ends up in glory. But Dr. Furtado also notes that there is a pattern for God's people as well. That we reflect this pattern that God has assigned to us as God's people. In the book of Revelation chapter 7, the Apostle John has a vision of a military census going on in the first half of that chapter. And in that military census, it presents the church as the church militant going through the wilderness of this world. And this is how one way we apply the Psalms to our daily lives and our personal lives. We understand it first in in its appropriate context, directly relating to the wilderness and the people of God experiencing the wilderness, the, the toil and the trouble in the wilderness. But it is not a one-by-one correspondence. I am not here saying, I like to make clear that it is not a one-to-one correspondence. God's people in the New Testament is going not through and experiencing God's anger and wrath. Rather, we're following the pattern that Christ set for us. We're suffering in this world. If you live long enough as a Christian, you will suffer. Dr. Furtado puts it this way, and this should be our attitude with respect to suffering. Suffering should not be viewed as bad, but as a path. It is a painful path, to be sure, but the pain of our path cannot compare with the glory of our destiny. 
this is how we experience suffering. Christians and believers experience suffering in a whole new light, in the light of Christ's work on the cross and in light of God's eternity. This is why the psalmist declares, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You have been our eternal home. We are safe and secure with you. In the ancient Near East, it was a practice, it it was expected rather, that Kings in the office of the kings, uh, the, one of the responsibilities that came with that privilege and honor to be a king was the responsibility to provide protection for their people. And God and Moses here is declaring God to be that king for his people. We have an eternal home. In God, we have an eternal home with Christ. He is our God, our help in ages past and future, as the famous hymn says, written by Isaac Watts. Our God, our help in ages past and future. And this is what Moses is looking forward to. Moses is looking forward to the Savior. But now, The Savior has arrived, and we look back to this risen Savior, to this suffering Savior who has provided us the path to glory. This is a teaching that's hard to accept. One of the hardest, most difficult teachings in the Christian faith is that we're going to suffer in this life. We may not do... Suffer to the same degree. All of us are going to experience suffering in a, in a different way, different degree. But this is our lot. This is our lot. This is God's will for us in this life. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8, chapter 17, speaks about us being heirs and children of God. And he says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. He goes on to say, we're fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That is the pattern, suffering to glory. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering should be seen as a blessing, as a road to glory. And this is one of the many blessings of this ancient psalm. Moses is striving for this. He's asking for this. He's clamoring for this. He's praying for this. And he's praying in such a way that He gets to experience salvation in the here and now. He gets to experience eternity in the here and now. He gets to 
experienced significance in his personal life. Look at verse 16, Psalm 90. Let your work be shown to your servants. And Moses is asking God's work of redemption, God's work of salvation. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. And he's hoping also that our children may experience this blessing. One of the most difficult things as uh, parents and in child rearing is sometimes we may not see our children come to faith. And it's, it's very rather disconcerting and rather uh, difficult. But one of the hopeful things is this, that we may not see our children come to faith before we die. But the hope is, even after we die, we come to see this desire and prayer come to fruition. That is why we should not give up on praying for our loved ones. Sometimes we may not see that blessing this side of eternity. Many missionaries experience this in their own work. We're reminded of, and uh, across a church history where many missionaries have gone abroad and have tried to plant churches, and they've uh, and they have died at, at the point of a sword, or or have died from an illness, or different reasons. And they don't see the fruits of their labor. Some of them don't get to see that. And Moses experienced that. He didn't get to enter into the promised land. He didn't get to experience that blessing. But notwithstanding that, he is very hopeful because he understands That salvation is eternal. He sees it in the perspective of eternity. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And he ends this prayer. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And establish the work of our hands upon us. He wants to see fruit of his labor. He wants to see fruit of his labor. But most of all, he wants to see God's grace upon his people. We're so thankful to have been recipients of this great blessing this evening, the blessing of Psalm 90 that has stretched generations and has endured to encourage God's people to give us strength, to give us wisdom, and to give us hope. <clears throat>